Welcome back to Behind the Chalk, a podcast that brings you tools, strategies, and insights from educators everywhere. I am your host, Lindsay Simpson. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I am so excited to introduce my guest today talking all about providing some amazing opportunities, some amazing students. So I would love to talk and hear from you all and hear your thoughts and experiences on this topic. So please head on over to Twitter and share with us at chalkedu as you listen. I would love to hear your thoughts. So my guest today is Mr. Pete Ebert. Welcome to the podcast. Before we get started into our amazing conversation, how are you today? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for joining. I appreciate your time and all the wisdom that you're going to share with all of us today. I'll do Uh, my best. (laughs) (laughs) So now I know your title is, you know, Exceptional Educational Supervisor, uh, Uh but you like to focus on one role in particular. So share with my listeners, what do you consider yourself first and foremost? Sure. Um, It's kind of part of, you know, how our organization just defines our titles. And I I just call myself a principal. Um, I have my building, basically. Um, And although, you know, when it's my uh, my school email and all that. And if anybody looks up my official title on my business card, it says exceptional education supervisor. Nobody knows what that means. I'm a principal. Um, my job is to be there for the kids and I take a lot of ownership in it being my building, that kind of thing. So, um, I just like to keep it simple for everybody and say, I'm a principal. I love that. You know, we can, uh, get as fancy as you want with some titles. I hear some amazing ones at different conferences that I go to and some of them like, that sounds super neat. I have no idea what it is, (laughs) but that would be really cool to have someday. Um, I think my favorite, I heard, um, uh, there was a a learning engineer of behavior modification. It's like definitely a new one to me. Yeah. I haven't heard that. It, it blew my mind. I, and again, I walked away. I was like, I have no idea what that person does, but that's pretty neat. <laughs> so, so before we you know, get into our topic, I like to start each episode off with the same questions. So quickly, before we start, how were you as a student yourself? Yeah, well, I hope I'm being accurate. And I don't know if we could share with your guests that we went to school together. So you might you know, absolutely. To, so I'll, I'll call you out me on some of this. Um, I would say I was, um, I was a good student. I got good grades. Um, and I played sports. I, I think all the teachers liked me and it really ticked my mom off that the teachers thought I was this great kid. Cause I probably wasn't the greatest kid at home. So she would say, you know, she'd talk to the teachers and they'd be like, Oh, I just love Pete. And she'd be like, really? Are you, is, are, are we talking about him or you sure you're not talking about uh, his older sister or something. So I would get that a lot. Um, but I just, I honestly liked being at school. Uh, I, I looked forward to it every day, mostly just to hang out with my friends. And then I was, um, I think competitive, uh, part of me being an athlete and that competitiveness kind of, um, transferred over into wanting to get good grades too. But at the same time, I would say, and this kind of goes toward, um, my career a little bit is, I think I was probably the worst type of student to become a teacher because I didn't really, it just, it can't kind of came easy. Um, You know, I would sit in class, I would pay attention, but I don't think I ever really sat and studied for a test. 
Um, if I showed up to class and I got a 95 on it and I missed a couple that I probably would have got right if I studied, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And that was good enough. And then you go to college and you find out that that's so much harder and it actually takes some effort. And that was definitely a learning process. And um, then you go a step further and think, okay, now I've got to teach something to somebody. When for me, it, it all kind of clicked real easy. I didn't have that relatability to say, okay, this is the steps of how you want to teach this to make, it, to make them understand or help them understand. Um, and early on in my teaching career, I, was, I would get frustrated. Like, why, can't, why isn't this clicking? And so it took me a long time to get used to that part of it. Um, but I, would, I think that's pretty accurate about how I was as a student. And hopefully you're not going to correct too much. No, actually, I think that was pretty astute. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's Not exactly good. how I would have described you. Uh, but it's so interesting um, to hear you talk about uh, how easily things came to you and then how that kind of was a struggle in the beginning of your career. Yeah. Um, I often have a similar story, but I guess the opposite. So when I started teaching and I would expect the struggle, um, especially when I switched from special ed over to general education. And then the kids would get it and be like, ha, <laughs> I must be the best teacher ever <laughs> because you got it on try number one. Yeah. So, <laughs> but so I know, you know, because I knew you as a, um, as a classmate in high school and, you know, kind of kept track a little bit as we uh, separated and went on to college. I don't think education was your first path no um so what brought you to the world yeah. of education well I started off as a I think it's where you should be but I don't well, think it's where you started <laughs> I I do feel that way um I started off as a pharmacy major and um the reason for that was mostly because I was like well I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I'm like pharmacists make good money so um I took AP chemistry in high school and I really liked that so I'm like okay that's it I'll just be a pharmacist and um, did that for a year. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, struggled academically at, at school, mostly because I just wasn't really interested in it, I think. Um, it, was, it was harder. Um, and that paired with the fact that I was like, man, am I going to be in a white coat behind a, a desk at a Tops all day, every day? And you know what? I'm not putting that down. We need pharmacists, especially now. But it's just 100% not for me. Um, and that changed pretty quickly when I came home that summer. I ended up coaching my little brother's soccer team. I think he was nine or 10 at the time. So summer soccer, and it's just, you know, nine and 10 year olds running around a field. It's mayhem. There's no strategy. It's, they're just trying to have a good time. And I just really enjoyed it. Um, I looked forward to practice every Tuesday and Thursday night at, uh, at the soccer field. And um, from there, decided to go into phys ed. Um, finish that up. And pretty early on after that, um, I, and kind of along the way, I'd had a few of, uh, mentors or things like that who, who recommended administration. And, um, it was something that was always in the back of my mind ever since I started. Um, it just felt right. It's, it was a gut feeling. And once I got into those programs, um, I just, I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the conversations of the, of the classes. And it just, I don't know what, I think I've kind of trusted my gut a lot with, with some career things like that. Um, and it's worked out. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, I I always like to ask those questions because the more people I meet in education, the more people I hear like, oh, this is not, this is was not my original plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think it goes everybody... to the fact that, I think it goes to the fact that um, I think people ask a lot, is, is teaching an art or a science? And I tend to believe more that it's an art. Certainly there's a science to it, but I, I think it's an art because some people just have the skill or they don't. Um, there's always a little bit you can learn one, one way or another. Um, but that I, there's an innate sense to it that I think some people have. And that's why when people ask that question, that's my, my gut response. I love it. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Mr. Pete Ebert, exceptional education supervisor and principal, and talk (laughs) about how he provides some amazing opportunities for successful students. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Mr. Pete Ebert, Principal of Exceptional Students, and we're going to be discussing his role and how he has set up an environment for his students And it's a pretty interesting tale. So um, from our area, we come from the same area. You work for Cataracts Allegheny BOCES. And for any listeners that are not from New York, can you just explain what that organization organization is and who it serves? Sure. So uh, other states have different names for it. We call them BOCES. It stands for Board of Cooperative Educational Services. Um, So I think there's there's 20-some across the state across New York state and they provide services like career and tech education, special education, um, technology support to schools, distance learning, adult education, uh, professional development trainings, things like that to districts. Um, New York is a lot different than some other states. Uh, basically our, a lot of our schools are so small and rural that they can't provide, uh, they don't have the consistent, uh, school population to provide certain programs um, by covering a wider area and kind of teaming up we can provide those programs with a little bit more consistency so school districts will uh, send students to us for different things um, like my school for example um, I, I, I believe it's 13 different districts that send kids to my building and I have to give a quick shout out for um, CA BOCES. I, my mother, for my listeners, my mother was an employee of BOCES for 30 years. Uh, so this organization really does an amazing job serving the students and the adults in our region. And because, and you, and you said it a little bit, because of our rural area, it's amazing at how far it spreads. So when yeah, you talk actually, to somebody yeah, it's and actually, you can see the connections. Yeah, I, they always say at all of our meetings that we're the size of Rhode Island. The area that CA BOCES covers, they always say it's about the size of Rhode Island, which is a lot. I mean, 
Um, I think we're roughly 700 employees, something like that. Um, the special ed, exceptional ed side is around 350. We're actually, we're a pretty big portion of it. Um, but some of the stuff that they do, I mean, I've taken some time to go to the other departments and some of the stuff that they do is really impressive. And like the adult education, um, some of the, the career and tech opportunities that the student have, the students have, um, it's just really impressive for, a, you know, a small town, rural place like this. So to be able to provide those opportunities where if they were just in their home district, um, they, they wouldn't get those. So it's a good feeling. Yes. And you're not there in, in your career yet, um, just because you're so young. But, you know, having seen <laughs> my mom, right, by the time she ended her career, the number of families that ended up being generations of families that she had impacted was just tremendous. And it was one of the, um, one of the moments that inspired me the most to realize like, man, I really, I wish I could do that someday. I want to be able to do that someday. So Mm -hmm. you'll be there. You'll be there. Give yourself another 20 years. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, it's interesting that you said that because, um, this was a huge change for me. Uh, one of the weird things about special ed is you can be a principal or supervisor, but you don't technically need a special ed degree. Uh, And I've taken a few courses, obviously, and now I feel like I have really good experience. But when I started, uh, you know, as a first time principal coming in um, with a, into a program, you know, working with students with pretty significant behavioral and mental health needs, and we would have intakes for students and we would meet, um, uh, we, you know, meet the kid. And then I would find out after the fact that, you know, mom or dad was in our program as well. So, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to, uh, to provide a service and, and have the, those parents be excited to have them come to us at the same time, the need in our area for these services is so high. Um, I, it's not discouraging, but it's a little, it's just kind of a reflection of where we are right now. Um, and how much the the need has increased, and hopefully I can stop seeing that uh, you know those those students coming from the parents who've been with us before. But um, you definitely get the the feeling, the family feeling, uh, the tight knit community type feeling where everybody knows each other a little bit. And um, you say CA BOCES, and and I think you get a lot of recognition, and understanding for that. Absolutely. One of the benefits to that is that families trust. They've got that yes. trust and they've got that relationship. So they know that where they're sending their child is a good place and that you're right. going to have their back. And it is amazing to see how CA BOCES continues to evolve and continues to think outside the box and how they continue to provide opportunities for these students. So, which really takes us into yeah. our topic for today in 2020, you and your students moved from one building that you rented to a new building. Can you share a little bit about why this was an important move and how it benefits your students? Sure. Because it, for our area and for other areas out there that are looking for something like this, that could be a pretty significant change. Sure. Well, I'll say that the, the type of program that um, that I mostly have in my school is what we call 611 intensive therapeutic. Um, so ru- uh, basic rundown, we have six students per class, a teacher and aide. We also include a full-time counselor in each of those rooms um, to provide group counseling, indiv- individual counseling, and a lot of classroom support, as well as um, a social worker for every two classes. So we had 
this class, and this started about 10 years ago before I uh, started working with BOCES. And since then, we are up to, I think, 30 of those rooms. So I have 13 of them at my building. Um, so, it, you know, in 10 years, the need has increased so much. When I started, we were renting, uh, 10 years ago, they just rented a, a classroom, one classroom in one school district. Then it kept growing a little bit. So they decided, okay, we've got to find an, a space. So they rented um, an old school that was in town. And uh, I think there were six rooms when I started. And then over the next two years while I was there, um, we were up to 12. And we had first started just renting the second floor. And then we were renting the third floor and then the whole thing. And then we just kept getting calls from districts, referrals. They, you know, they needed um, placements for students. We didn't have it. And I knew of a building um, across town, uh, quite a bit bigger, about double the size, actually. And um, we started the process to get moving over there. That's fantastic. So was there any steps that you had to go through specifically to make that possible, whether it was in your organization oh, yeah. or with the town itself? To make a sure. move like that, um, especially into a neighborhood that used to be quite familiar with having a school in their area that mm -hmm. does, you know, buses every morning and, yep. and traffic and things <laughs> like that, um, to yeah. not having that as part of their morning uh, routine anymore. What mm -hmm. type of process did you have to go through? It was about 18 months um, from, from start to finish. So it started off as just kind of like the informal conversations with our superintendent. Um, and just saying, you know, we've got referrals, we're full, we've just had to decline people, uh, decline districts saying we don't have the space to provide. And from there, we ended up um, going forward, uh, reaching out to the building owner, because the building was a former school that had been sold. Um, and it had kind of just sat empty for a while. Um, they weren't able to find a tenant. So that turned into negotiating a lease with the building owner, which took months and months. Um, finally get that approved with him. And then we submit that for school board approval. And then the hard work started, which was, okay, we've got the lease. And then I personally spent so much time learning about city zoning law and planning board codes and all this stuff I had no clue about. I had to go to quite a few meetings. Um, there, when you're, when a building sits that long, apparently they have to go through the process again um, to get it uh, approved. And uh, there's things like community comments and stuff like that. So you have to make sure you go through that process with the city. Um, and then some really boring things like ordering furniture, ordering <laughs> technology, um, planning. Uh, we oh, already don't say that to an ed tech person. <laughs> well, I mean, not that the technology is boring, but, you know, it's just <laughs> spreadsheet after spreadsheet of, okay, how many classrooms, what do we need? Um, meeting with vendors and going through all that, actually purchasing, organizing deliveries. Um, we got, we're lucky to find a moving company nearby that brought about 30 people and moved us from one building in like a day and a half, which was awesome. Oh, that um, is nice. Yeah. Going through all the fire inspections, safety, building safety inspections, updating the school security system. Um, I had a lot of work to do, but fortunately I had a lot of help. Um, I have a, another supervisor who I work with very closely um, she was awesome. The staff uh, really, really helped us out. And the tricky part about it all was we did it all during the pandemic. Like I was, uh, it was just crazy. I ended up um, building committees for the furniture, a, a 
committee for ordering technology, a committee, a moving committee, a school safety committee. And we did everything through Microsoft Teams, you know, so we're all meeting through there. And um, and I think that was probably the best thing that, that came of it is that we were able to include the staff that felt like they're such a big part of the school, you know, like they were responsible for us moving. And so to have that, that you know, the stakeholders being so involved, I think was probably the best, uh, the best part of it because it, it just, it was such a positive experience. Everybody was so excited um, and it's, it's worked out really well so far. Well, it sounds like you did everything you could to get that buy-in, which is, you know, one of the most important pieces so that you have everybody being invested. It sounds like you have that completely. So one of the things that we often hear is that when you have classrooms like this, they're embedded in a school district, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with with other same age general education peers, but yours are in a different building. What are some of the benefits of having that? The benefits but of that, and that's, that's a great question. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely drawbacks. And, um, you know, some people are staunchly in favor of, you know, you need to have um, students in uh, general school as much as possible. And I do agree, but um, we've been able to, and it's one of our goals to, to make it as much like a school as it can possibly be. Um, I think a lot of times you struggle with providing enough of that stuff if you're going to just be renting rooms, you know, um, you might struggle with providing enough specials, um, you know, having those outside of school uh, opportunities, um, things like that. So some of the stuff we try and do is, and it's really tough with COVID right now, but we try and do monthly field trips. We haven't been able to do any of those, but that's been a big part of our program. And we're going to, as soon as we can, we're going to get back to those. We do a lot of, um, relationship building family type stuff we try and do one big um food day every month we've done things like um every room brings in like we've got a chili cook-off or a soup cook-off um a spaghetti dinner um ice cream buffets that kind of thing like once a month to do something so like whenever that. you need an outside judge you just ah, let yeah. know. <laughs> sure <laughs> i'll give you a heads up on the next one the best actually the best one we did was uh, a chip dip cook off each room brought their own different uh types of dip and some of the stuff was just incredible it was i mean i i've gained a lot of weight but (laughs) but it's it's worth it absolutely that's totally fine i think it's absolutely worth it to do things like that but in all seriousness it does it brings that community feeling uh which is just so wonderful Mm -hmm. and um We've been lucky enough to do, not, not this past year, but we have always do a, a large uh, Thanksgiving lunch the week before. A lot of schools do that, but it's just, it's probably the best day of the year, you know, to see mm-hmm. all these people come in. Um, we're lucky enough to have our culinary program up at the center, um, the Career and Tech Center. They're fantastic. And so I go buy the turkeys, but they cook them and prep them all for us. And then all the rooms bring different sides and it's such a great day. Uh, so, you know, that's some of the stuff we try and do to make it feel more like a school community. And then program wise, um, we're able, we're large enough. We have a music teacher. We have an art teacher. We have multiple phys ed teachers. Um, the students have, they stay within their programming, but we have multiple teachers at that uh, classification. So they do move around class to class, just like they're in a regular school. Um, so we are conscious about trying to make it as 
typical as possible so that when you go in, you know, it feels like a school. And I think um, I actually was in a meeting today where um, a building owner came in and he was like, man, it really feels like a school here. And it just, it's been great. And you mentioned a little bit before, like the, the community nearby, the neighbors, um, to kind of see that building be empty for a while. I've gotten a lot of comments. You know, a couple of complaints about the buses certainly happens. It, it's a little, you know, it's a little uh, tough when there's no traffic around you in the morning and you might get held up for a couple of minutes. Um, but the vast majority of people are just so happy to see it being used and be uh, and have it be serving kids. So you referenced it a little bit ago, uh, but, you know, we all know in the spring of 2020, the pandemic changed a lot of learning environments. Yeah. What impact did COVID-19 have on your students, but also your staff? Sure. Um, the students, I mean, we shut down uh, March 16th, right? Um, kind of like when everybody else did. And it was really rough for a while. We didn't see them that whole school year. We didn't see them at all for summer. Summer school was all virtual. But we have come back um, since September to uh, completely 100% in person. Um, so on our students, you know, students with significant mental health and behavioral needs, um, that lack of person-to-person -person contact was um, a disaster. Um, they really struggled at home. They struggled. Um, they, I, I believe we lost so much progress with academics over that amount of time. Um, we we struggled with relationships. We struggled with behavior at home. Um, you know, these are kids who need school the most. And it was very tough for, uh, for them, for parents. We've actually had some kids who, you know, 20, 2019, I hate school, blah, blah, blah. And then that first day in September, they're so happy to be back. And it was pretty eye-opening. Uh, for staff, it's been, you know, I, I'm sure similar to a lot of other pro professions. It's just you know, you're home all the time for a while, and that takes its toll on people. Some people thrived. Um, I think we saw some of our all-star teachers just continue to be all-stars and do brand new things and be so impressive. Um, and some people who were all-stars really struggled with that. Some people thrive on that worker, that coworker um, relationship and coming into work and, and seeing people and being around people. And I'm definitely one of those people. Um, I had like this newfound anxiety of being home and uh, never having dealt with that, I was like, I felt like I needed to be doing something every day. And I was like always in the garage after work, like working on projects, like woodworking projects. And I'm just like, I got to do something. I got to do something. Because um, it just kind of felt like time was slipping away a little bit. Um, so there's definitely been some stress. Um, and, and one thing, too, is frustration with technology and also so much learning about technology by the staff. Um, I think, you know, so many, I'm sure you hear it, people saying, I'm not a technology person. You know, it's just, oh, me and technology just don't get along. And uh, I've always wanted to say too bad, you have to. And now I had an excuse to say too bad, you have to. And people have done such a good job. I mean, they've learned incredibly. And we were able to do a lot of um, things I'm pretty proud of early on um, that, I don't think, you know, trying to have a, put a positive spin on everything, we never would have done it without this. And we never would have learned, our staff never would have learned this stuff without this. So, you know, definitely an opportunity for growth there that they've taken advantage of. The 
amount of learning that's happened between March and now with any educator I've talked to, whether they're from New York, they're from another state, whether they teach high school, whether they teach pre-K, right? It doesn't matter what area they're in. Everyone has said it's just been nonstop, which is, it can be fun sometimes, but you know, yeah. to avoid that toxic positivity, it is exhausting. <laughs> yes, it is absolutely. exhausting. Yep. Um, and I just learned that term, toxic, toxic positivity. positivity. <laughs> Somebody, somebody I'm brought it up in a BOCI sure. CLC. <laughs> is that a real thing? They're like, yeah, it's a real thing. I'm like, oh, okay. And then once they describe, I'm like, oh yeah, that is a real thing because the people <laughs> who walk around, oh yeah, yeah. Be great. Like, no, it's not. Like, it, it can't always be great. Like, people, let's just. Yeah, people need the space to be upset and stressed out sometimes. And you know, that was a lot of times we'd have our our weekly staff Zoom meetings back in March and April and May, and it's like you've got to find something to do to get away from that computer screen. It is so easy at work to walk away from work, your home. But when work is right there and people who are self-employed and work from home already are probably pretty good at it. You've got now all these teachers who are sometimes not so good at that, that really have to learn. And I was one of those, um, you know, having to, to hide my computer on myself because I was answering emails from, you know, 24 hours a day. I was just always checking because it's this, it's this weird barrier that's now down and, and dealing with that was, was rough, but toxic positivity. I'm stealing that for sure. <laughs> Can't wait. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, I can, I can put it back on both these for teaching me that one, but yeah. Um, one. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, that you brought up a great point with that barrier. Um, and you know, my, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how you overcome those struggles, but just that advice of trying to put something in your life to bring back that work-life balance is mm. so huge. Um, as educators, we, you know, you always hear, well, they're my kids. They're yep. my kids. Yep. Uh, I, you know, I put normally I'd put my kids on the bus and then I would think about them until I see them the next day. But now I don't see them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure where they are because they might've not shown up to my virtual class. I know they're not getting yeah. food from school and I know some of these families depend on school for food. So all these yeah. things now are going through educators' minds. And so you can't yeah. turn it off uh, because there might, there are kids. Yep. So it's, I you mean, know, you, it's secondary, it's secondary trauma, really. I mean, you are part of being a teacher is, you know, you, you want what's best for them. And you're all, I, I agree. You're always thinking about them, worrying about them. And it just turned it up to 11. You know, yeah. And, so and teachers felt that. It sounds like you have done the best as you possibly can because I don't think anybody has done a perfect job. I don't think sure. everybody, anybody's done a terrible job, right? Mm-hmm. It's such, yeah. as much as I hate hearing this term, such uncharted territory in our <laughs> yeah, new in normal. These, in these unprecedented times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I saw um, something the other day and I said, I could really go for some precedented times. And it just, that hit me. <laughs> let's make a shirt. We need yeah, to make a shirt. Yeah. We'll, we'll get some COVID-19 merch for the <laughs> CA BOCES region. Yeah. Uh, but what have you been the most proud of? Uh, I think that we have been able to, I mean, since, um, since September, when we went back in person, uh, we've been staying in person. Um, we, we closed down, I think three days where, you know, we, we've had, 
we've had our positive cases for sure. Um, you know, it's a small number. Um, we did have, you know, in, at early on, you know, we, the, uh, the guidelines have kind of changed of, you know, we had a positive case. Okay. Shut down the school for a day and clean. Now it's, we have a positive case and you talk to the health department and find out the guidelines for who needs to quarantine and, and stuff like that. So we've learned a lot along the way as, as everybody has. Uh, but I think I, I am really proud of being able us, us to be there for the kids for sure. Uh, because so many just absolutely need to be in person. And one of the things that surprised me, my biggest worry um, with the, the students in my population was we're not going to like, they're not going to wear masks. There's no way they're just not going to wear them. And we're going to be dealing with masks all the time. And it's, I'm going to have write-ups on my desk for masks and I'm going to dream about masks coming off at night. And it has been so, so much just not an issue with the kids. It's impressive. Um, I think um, I'm not sure who to give credit to for that, but um, that has been a, a big positive for me. And I think people really genuinely care. And, um, and that's been really nice to see. I think that's a testament of how communities have come together. Yeah, I think so. You know, yep. it's, it's really amazing. Yeah. So as we finish up our conversation today, um, I, you know, I like to always ask this. Every person involved with education has a teaching moment that sticks with them, right? So whether it's a humorous mm -hmm. situation, something that was just super impactful and sentimental, whatever the case might be, could you share one of those teaching moments that will stick with you for life? Well, I really have two, and they're two different ones. Um, you know, I they, have yet to hear only one. I just, I just can't. Point out. <laughs> I just can't because they're so, they're so, to me, they're so important. Um, and I'll start, I have a sad one, and, and then one that was a, such a teaching moment for me. So I'll share, uh, the first one was, um, you know, in, in my, my office at the previous school was where all the, all the snacks were, you know, so many kids who need food. And um, so many of my students come from backgrounds. They just don't have, um, they, they really struggle with the ability to take care of themselves. And there's this one kid who is the quietest, calmest kid, and um, he's very shy. And, um, you know, people come to our school because they've, they've had problems at another school. They've had discipline issues like crazy usually. And you know, this, the stories that I heard about this kid were not good. And he came and he came into the office and grabbed this frozen pastry from the freezer and opened it and took a bite of it and then threw it away because it was frozen and he couldn't eat it. And there was a microwave right there. And he's a 15 year old kid who didn't have the ability to take care of himself. Um, and his response was, and the sad part for me was his response wasn't to ask for help. It was just to throw it out and accept it and move on. And that has stuck with me for a while and it probably always will. And the funny one was really early on back when I was a phys ed teacher. Um, you know, you're a rookie teacher. One of the things you have to do is you have to be the detention monitor. So I was a detention monitor one day after school and this kid who, um, who struggled a lot and, and uh, we were in detention and he, he just kept talking, you know, and I'm rookie teacher, phys ed teacher, 
tough guy. He was like, talk one more time. You're going to get written up. So, you know, do one more time and I'm going to write you up. And at the end of that detention, I had 19 write-up slips that I went and handed to that principal at the time. And, you know, and I'm like, well, I did it. I said I was going to write them up. So I had to do it. And that taught me so much. First of all, eventually I felt like an idiot for handing 19 detention slips to my principal because obviously that kid's not serving 19 detentions. Um, but it just taught me so much about um, dealing with students who, who give you problems, who are, you know, who are challenging you. And first of all, if you're not willing to back it up, don't say it. Uh, if you're not actually going to put them in 19 detentions, don't write them up 19 times. Um, and then it really taught me just to focus on relationships and how, um, how important that is to, to your students being successful. You know, the student and I, um, I, I was just, I was just not a very good teacher at that point in my career in dealing with that kind of thing. Um, it's, I can still remember watching him. It was like a, it was like a puppy when you, you know, you put a treat on the table, you tell them not to, they can't, they can't not do it. They're going to take the treat. And <laughs> I was just such an idiot. And, but I think about it all the time. And when people say, you know, in interviews, I, I've used that example in interviews a few times, just said, yep, I learned so much. It was the dumbest thing I ever did, but I'm so glad that I did it because I remember it and I'll never forget it. And I, I, I think, um, it had, that one moment has definitely shaped a lot of how I deal with situations now. I could see where you could learn a lot from both those situations. So thank you so much for sharing. And I want to just thank you again for taking the time to join us today. I really enjoyed our conversation and hearing you from you. you. Yeah, about all the opportunities you're providing your students and the families. You know, I've heard uh, from so many about all the good work that you're doing over there. And it really has been fantastic to be able to hear it from you yourself. So thank you for all that you provide the community. It's really wonderful. Thank you very so much. I you. appreciate it. Yeah. So all of you listening and who've joined us in today's episode, I would love to hear your thoughts and how you are supporting your students or your staff during this time. So head on over to Twitter and give us a shout at ChalkEDU. Finally, I'd like to give a little book highlight from something that I have been reading. Right now, I am making my way through the distance learning playbook. Chapter two discusses establishing norms for students, identifying expectations for distance learning, and providing reminders for organizational and procedural routines. A quote from the chapter that hit me right to the core is unstated norms in a virtual class will evolve for better or for worse. I could not agree with this more. In the spring when everything shut down, we were all scrambling, scrambling to find platforms, scrambling to find devices for students to get to those platforms. And in some cases, scrambling to provide internet access for students to participate in online learning, or even just so we could put eyes on them and ask them how they were doing. A colleague had the perfect analogy. It was like being in a boat that was capsizing. 
every time you thought you were getting your head above water, another wave would come through and put you back under. So you were just constantly drowning. Most didn't have the ability to develop well thought out norms and expectations, let alone reinforce them. So when the fall rolled around and we entered whatever environment welcomed us back, whether it was in person, hybrid, full remote, we also met the routines that we left in the spring that developed behind the scenes. Whether those routines were helpful or hurtful, it's never too late to readdress or reaffirm the routines and expectations you're looking for in your classroom, whether you're in person or you're virtual, or if you're going back and forth. If you're not sure where to start, ask yourself, what routines would you do in your classroom before? How have you, will you, or could you replicate those experiences online? So I want to hear from you. What routines have been helpful for you this year? How have you communicated those routines and expectations to your students? If you have some strategies to share or know a rockstar teacher that you would like to highlight, Share it out with the podcast on Twitter at ChalkEDU so we can share that with others. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Behind the Chalk. Want to hear more? Subscribe and review the podcast wherever you like to listen and follow on Twitter at ChalkEDU. And remember, education is not the filling of a pot, but the lighting of a fire.